The topics and themes on our program are generally adult in nature and may contain explicit language. Therefore, these conversations may not be suitable for younger audiences. What does being typed out mean to you? Telling your own story. It's just really, truly being who you hey, are. Hey, this is me. This is who I am. And Labels this is my space. Categorize. So we can be identified and for that reason to be excluded. The way that we integrate people into society or do not. To literally write my name and leave my ink print in the world of stories to come. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and uh, I exist. This is the Typed Out, Typed out. Typed out. Typed out Podcast. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for joining me. How's it going? How's your weekend? It's been it's been busy, but it's been good. Good. In our world, busy is good. Yes, yes, it is. So we have a lot to talk about today, as is usually the case with Type Down. And one thing is, is that we're carrying on the conversation regarding Pride, which, as we know, is June, the month of June. And so one thing that you know we prefaced in the beginning is carrying on the conversation beyond June and celebrating and honoring fight 365 days a year so what is pride for you what is it what does it represent for you i think for me pride is about um being happy and comfortable expressing your identity um, and feeling in your own skin no matter what how you define that how at the forefront of your identity being a member of the lgbt community is i think you know you should feel comfortable to identify first and foremost as however however you want to identify, whether that's 
with your sexual orientation or with something else where, you know, sexual orientation is a part of it, but not sort of your primary identity. Absolutely. And so the biggest question that I have to ask today, or one of the biggest questions, one of my favorite questions to ask is, what does being typed out mean to you? Um, well, to me, I think uh, being typed out means um, feeling like you have a voice and I and an identity. And I don't mean that in the sense of sexual orientation. Again, I mean that in however you want to define it. Yeah, absolutely. So Rachel, I gave a bit of an intro in your bio, but please tell us, our live listeners here this evening, a little bit more about you, where you come from, perhaps even about your personal journey. Sure, yeah. So um, I, as Nick mentioned, I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Um, I moved to the US when I was 17 to attend college um, and you know was in was uh, at Harvard for my four years where I learned to play rugby um, it was a very formative part of my uh, college experience after that I I came out of school and you know I didn't actually consciously go into investing the way I think a lot of people do nowadays. Um, it was, you know, I was looking for an opportunity to work with really smart people who are really interested in investing in, um, you know, junior talent. I wanted to be a big part of an organization that was growing rapidly. And, you know, I, I was lucky. I, I met the folks at Stripes and we hit it off and um, here I am today. So there's a lot in there to unpack, which we will be going through throughout the evening, talking a bit about your life in Hong Kong before coming to New York and also diving into what you do at Stripes and then perhaps even expanding beyond that and seeing how we can bring the conversation of diversity, inclusion, specifically women in tech, and talking about how we can start diversifying the spaces and perhaps pick your brain through your experience there as well. Um, one thing I would love to ask is what was it like growing up being LGBTQ plus in Hong Kong? Um, so <laughs> the funny thing is that I actually didn't come out until I was about 19. Um, I don't think I had any conception of what it meant to be queer when I was a kid, uh, to the point where I don't think I even noticed queer people on the street. Um, it, it, you know, it just wasn't a possibility in my mind. Um, and I think a lot of rugby people are going to laugh at this, but... <laughs> You know, rugby really opened my mind to it. I think, you know, it was uh, the best possible and safest possible environment for me to realize these things about myself, feel comfortable telling people, um, and and it was really just quite a wonderful experience. I think, you know, it was for a while. I definitely lived a little bit of a dual lifestyle where I compartmentalized my life in. Uh, in Hong Kong for my life in Boston and now New York, um, where, you know, I, when I went back, I definitely played the role of the obedient child. Um, but coming back here, I felt liberated living far away from my family. And so it was, um, you know, I definitely miss my parents. I miss being close to them, but it was, a I think for me, a, a very liberating thing to be so far away from them and to be able to build my own life and build my own identity here in the U.S. Yeah. What's something that like someone perhaps here in the States 
who might not understand or not necessarily have the insight, what is one particular challenge or cultural challenge that you might be able to readily identify that would make it more difficult for someone of the community to come out in Hong Kong versus here? Yeah, you know, I think a big thing is, um, you know, the, the culture in the U.S. is very individualistic. Um, people here are very independent, and I think, you know, not in all cases, but in some cases, um, you know, people who come out, it sort of reflects on them as a person. Um, when you come out in Hong Kong, uh, because of how sort of familial the society is, um, it reflects on your family when you come out. And I think that was probably one of the biggest hurdles for me, um, conceptually, where I felt like coming out would reflect poorly on my family for some reason. Yeah. Does anybody happen to listen to the podcast Advancing by Chance? Yes. So it's it's produced by, this is like a little unintended plug for them, but it's produced by WNYC, and it covers a lot of queer culture aspects. And um, both of the hosts are Asian American, and Kathy comes out to her mom on the podcast and records it. And so it's, I just, I defer to that, to that episode to listen to quite early on. But speaking to Rachel's point, her mom isn't really quite grasping what her daughter is trying to tell her. So I think that might be a good reference point to listen to, to get a bit of a cultural insight as to how these conversations might happen. But do you have anything from your own conversations with your family, with your parents, that you might be willing to share with us here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was, I was lucky in that when I told my dad, he, he was, he was fine with it. He, he actually told me, um, as long, I told him when I was in college, he told me, as long as you continue studying for school and it's your second priority and not your first, um, we're all good. And, and that to me was, was huge. I mean, I was also lucky in that I had an older sister who was, so incredible and she went far and beyond just you know being okay with it she went to join p flag and she was just an incredibly supportive figure in my life and so it, it helped that i had individual family members that that were okay with it but you know for example I, I told someone one of my my aunts who was in the family and i don't think she you know to the point i had earlier about just not understanding what it was she just did not comprehend it. She just continued asking me if I had a boyfriend because she didn't know what it meant to have, like, a girlfriend. She didn't, she didn't know. And, you know, beyond, beyond, you know, just saying, like, I like to hold hands and hug and kiss someone, I don't – I mean, there are other ways, but <laughs> it's like I don't want to talk about that with my aunt. Right. Um, I, you know, it, it's difficult to explain. Yeah. I mean, there's – even here, there's a, a vast variety responses that you get when you give them out to family and mm -hmm. i do think that like unless that space is made open to you already uh which I, I do think that we are trending in that way like uh i know that um myself and one of my guests that is here this evening tony we marched during the queer liberation march this year and it was so great to see parents marching with their children i, I mean we're talking teens and also including their kids as being a part of the march and bringing them to the larger parade I think helps to set a precedent of acceptance, right? But I also know that myself growing up, I definitely felt a bit of fear of, you know, how 
out, and there is a stigma around that. And you do get scared and wonder how much it will affect the family and who's going to have things to say. But so when it was time to to come out, uh, I know for myself, I I waited until I was in a relationship with someone because I always told myself like it would be easier to to like introduce my boyfriend and that would be the point to break the ice, which I did and it went very well. But it was a journey to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious for you, bringing someone, like when you were in a relationship, did you talk about it with your family? Did you introduce that person to your family? Um, I I didn't, you know, and I, I regret that a little bit. I think um, for me, Again, my lives felt so separate in the U.S. and in Hong Kong. It wasn't like I was going to bring my girlfriend back to Hong Kong with me and have her fly across the world just to be treated possibly horribly by my parents. Um, and so for a very long time, I, I hid that from them. And when it did come time to, you know, when I did decide to come out to my parents, it was the, the way that I did it was uh, I took a slightly different tact. I um I didn't want them to feel like it was going to be a, a phase for me, that it was um, something that was connected inherently with this one person that I was dating. And so I wanted to tell them, you know, that, that I was queer without telling them that I was also dating a woman. So I did it in the uh, most traditional way possible and the most risk-averse way possible where on the last day before I was supposed to head out to New York, I went into my parents' room and I told them that I had won an award for being an LGBT professional in a certain industry. And I was like, well, if I put in the thing about the award, then maybe they will be less mad about it. Um, Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, Just try and, you know, adjust my strategy based on their priorities. (laughs) Um, So that's that's sort of how I went about it. And what was the reception, if I may ask? So my dad actually had known beforehand. I told him first. um, And he he sort of smiled and hugged me. My mom gave me a hug. um, And then she went into another room by herself for a little bit. And my dad talked to me about it. He said, you know, give her time. You know, she needs a little time to process all of this. Um, And I think, you know, for me, I I could tell that my mother was struggling a little. She's Catholic and she's been raised Catholic. And I think, you know, just the way that she's been brought up has not taught her to be able to deal with something like this and you know I don't think it's a it's a huge issue but I think that the way that she sees it she's she's worried I guess that I might change or my relationship to her might change and so my hope was after telling her that I would be able to show her that nothing had really changed and that I was still the same person and in fact that I'd be able to share more of my life with her now that I told her about this and so it's it's an ongoing process. Absolutely. It always is. I mean, like, coming out is just the first step. Like, this is the one thing that I love to challenge movies with is by saying, like, it, it doesn't end up coming out. Like, it's such a, a, 
process well beyond that. You know, like I, I constantly push the envelope with my family in the sense of like just opening up that conversation because there is so much more without even going into like intimate details, but just saying, you know, even sharing in queer history with your family. Like recently the Brooklyn Museum has a stonewalling ticket for 50 years of pride. And I invited my dad to come along with me, which was a milestone for him and I to do that, you know, to even just have my dad with me in the space. He happens to love art. So that was like the shoe in. That was like Mm -hmm. me saying, I got an award. So it was just like, hey, there's art. It happens to be a little gay. But um, (laughs) that was the shoe in for us. But it's doing that in a way that one creates the opportunity to bond, but two, to include them into a side of you that they're perhaps unfamiliar with, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just kind of gives a more prismatic view of a person rather than it being one sided and you're hiding it. Because no, these this identity isn't all of us, but it is I like to think for me, it is a large part of who I am. It's not all who I am, but mm-hmm. it's it does affect a lot of the things that I deal with in my life and it's also how I greet the world. So to include my family and my close friends in that, I think only strengthens relationships and mm-hmm. in, in that respect combining like talking about identity right which is a hot button word we love to talk about identity nowadays which i do think is important um but also like not falling too far into identity as well there are times when i think it's important and traditionally this is where i'm tying all of this into business is that more often than not in a business setting we're asked to leave our like who we are at the door. But I think it's quite important to bring who you are into the office space because it's Rachel's experience, who you are prior to, to coming to Stripes or wherever we would happen to be at that moment. It's all of that experience. It's everything that has shaped you as the woman that you are that I think is so relevant. It, it has informed the way that you think, the way that you critically approach problems, the way that you read people and the way that you perceive the world. So I think it's important to a certain extent, I should say, that we welcome people in because of their identity. And so this is where I would love to tie in diversifying spaces, and in this case, tech spaces. And so I, I have some statistics. We're going to be talking more of like LGBTQ plus inclusion plus women in tech. So I did a little research, and as of 2018, 56% of all jobs held in the United States are held by women. In the tech space, that's less than 20%. So women hold less than 20% of jobs in the tech space. So the cool thing is that there is a little bit of a lead in overall employment. But we know that tech, and I actually doing some, some research on STEM, which is science, tech, engineering, and math, generally lack the most diversity. And so an interesting thing here is to tie your education into this is that women and um, minorities will start degrees in these areas but then they'll wind up falling off and then that therefore leads to a lack of employment opportunity so there's some sort of disconnect between starting the major completing the major and then getting a job and so i've diving further just because I love to question things 
is seeing what is standing up is it the tasks whatever and one thing that does rise to the top is just group nature or not necessarily feeling comfortable within the environment so i would love to ask what are some things that you perhaps think might be more of a challenge for someone trying to land a position in one of those like a science tech engineering math position or specifically tech as your experience allows yeah, I'll, I'll preface this by saying that, you know, even for someone who identifies as LGBT, I think I stand to benefit a lot. Like, I have a lot of privilege in the way that I look and the number of Asian American people in the industry. Yeah. Um, and I think that, um, you know, being cis and being part of the second largest group of ethnicity in the industry um, definitely has removed a lot of barriers for me from the uh, from the the actual hurdle standpoint I think um, a big part of it is that people like to hire people and this has been belabored a lot in a lot of articles and books but it is people like to hire individuals who are like them in a certain way whether it is that they went to the same school or someone who identifies with their experiences, um, someone that they feel like they can, quote unquote, you know, spend a night with in the airport um, during a delayed flight. Um, all of these factors consciously or subconsciously play a huge role in the quote unquote likability of someone. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a big part of uh, it's a big part of how people get hired, and it's a big part of how people think about building their culture, particularly when companies are still very small and trying to find their own voice and their own environment for what works for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, we can only advocate for diverse ways of thinking, right? For bringing new voices to the table. Because especially in something like science and tech, when you're, you're constantly developing, right? Things are adapting, changing, shifting. And... When you bring people in that are approaching it from different points of view, you're more likely to, like one thing that I love that I've seen through a TED talk is that like the problem and the solution cannot exist on the same plane, right? So in order for you to find a solution, you have to transcend the plane. And the only way you can do that is by introducing difference or by going laterally across to a completely different department. So this happened to be a TED talk on like slow burn multitasking. So it's like if you happen to have multiple interests, it helps when you completely remove yourself from the problem at hand and transition into something else. And while you're not thinking about it, you unconsciously come up with a solution. But it's the same thing when we're working in an industry. If you've hit the problem, a reason why might be that there might be a lack of diverse opinion or way of thinking. And so that could be a great way to transcend that plane finding a solution. So what are like some, like I know another thing is like recruiting or like even bringing in candidates in the door and then the next step is, is hiring. What in your experience or perhaps just suggestions do you think might be some good tactics in recruiting diverse candidates? Yeah, I think um, a big one is, you know, for recruiting and talent organizations to be empowered to actually hire the candidates that they want. I find that a lot of folks, not all, but a lot of folks in talent are cued into the fact that having a diverse workforce is great, um, 
but for a lot of it, they're not they're not empowered to be able to make those decisions because individuals outside of the talent organization may not be cued into the same thing, and they may be you know pushing back on this. And because they are in this specific role, their opinion is given a little more weight. Yeah. It's it's simple things like that. It's understanding that recruiting doesn't have to be going out into the ether and finding individual candidates that happen to be diverse. It's realizing that there's a there's a more efficient way to do it. Just partner with great schools and organizations within those schools that cater to this affinity group and recruit a lot of great, you know, students from it. Yeah. And then I another thing that I think is great to specifically for tech companies, because the two things that I'm thinking of in mind that pair well with it are organizations like I think it's Lesbians for Tech and then mm -hmm. there's also Alpin Tech, mm -hmm. which like connecting with organizations like that will help even just networking, right? So and then generally they offer name tags. So if you're looking for a job or if you're out recruiting, that's a great way to start breaking the ice and getting out there and meeting people. And it's not necessarily hitting a search filter, but actually being lined with someone and making a connection there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I work with an organization called Gangels, which is an, uh, an angel syndicate. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is really a group of high net worth individuals who are willing to invest their own money into small companies, startups, um, to help them grow. And they typically focus on either companies that are led by LGBT executives and founders or companies that are interested in bringing folks on. And what they've done pretty successfully, I'd say, is build up a network of folks with great backgrounds um, and have managed to plug them in at board positions at various companies. And to be able to plug someone in at the uh, at a very powerful position in a company, I think is, you know, frankly, the most efficient way to do it. But also, the you know, it, it it solves a lot of the issues. Yeah. Which that is a great springboard into the next one statistic, but like area that I'd like to go is bringing women into and also diversifying leadership, right? So of the 20-ish percent of women that are employed in tech spaces, only 2% hold leadership positions. And so that is like at a director level or above. That's depressing. That is depressing, yeah, 2%. So as someone that is a board observer, what do you think might be a hindrance there? I think that um, the idea of leaving your identity by the door to, to take this all the way back to the beginning, yeah. doesn't apply at the highest levels of operation. People who work together work together either because they know each other and know each other well or because they want to get to know each other. And the most successful people are the people who are able to have their families over and have a dinner together with their significant others and kids or you know, be able to go on an outing together. And that's really what changes a business relationship into a like true friendship. Yeah. And I think it's difficult to do that when you don't identify with the other person at all. Um, and so to me, that's that's one of the issues. And then, you know, to Sally, who's who's the head of talent at Yopo's credit, she posted something the other day about emotional labor and the emotional labor that women and minorities uh, perform on a daily basis around, you know, just simple things like, um, you know, guys talking about women in a certain way or, you know, having to fight back against that constantly is 
is tiring and it takes up a little bit of your mental and emotional effort that you really should be dedicating and could be dedicating towards doing amazing work. Um, ex you know, excelling in a job is not just about doing what you do best. It's being able to think three steps ahead, doing two of those steps and showing that you can advance on to the next level. And when you're spending the amount of brain energy that you could be having to tackle these issues instead of focusing on what's ahead, that's exhausting. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a waste of energy is how I, I mean, in yes. a sense of like really looking at ways in which we can be more inclusive in the ways that we reach out to people. And also like, I heard some other interesting statistics of like where it borders or spills over into like quotas where people, nobody wants to be a statistic themselves, you know, but actually like being the right person for the job. Um, but that is a much larger conversation. And I think this is a good opportunity to take some questions from our audience. So here we go. Okay. Can you talk about the experience as a gay person to identify yourself as gay in every new environment that you encounter, i.e. a new work environment, and the fears of this setting you apart and possibly excluding you? So constantly coming yeah, out. Yeah, constantly coming out. I think that, well, I'll say this, I think that at first it was um, terrifying to constantly come out. I don't think that any of my partners, uh, and by partners I mean the folks who are managing directors at the company that I work with, um, knew that I was dating women until uh, probably three years into the role. And it was not, you know, by any fault of theirs. I just didn't feel comfortable sharing my life to that extent with them. And I think uh, the process of, it, it really, really depends on the folks that you work with. And it's so unfortunate because you know, I think companies can lose out on a lot of talent by making people feel uncomfortable. Um, truth of the matter is, though, we, as in we in New York, are relatively lucky in that many of the folks that we work with are of the generation that believe that being LGBT is okay. Um, and so I can't speak from personal experience because, you know, the way I've come out now is is somewhat cavalier. You know, I'll I'll just put my phone on the table and I'll click it open and I have a picture of myself kissing my girlfriend on the front. And I'll just like click it open and put it in their face, you know? Yeah see, who gets uncomfortable. yeah, see who gets uncomfortable. And, you know, I also benefit, by the way, from a power dynamic that benefits me, right? I, I happen to be an investor and, you know, a big part of that is obviously pleasing the folks on the other end of the table and making sure that they choose us as investors. Um, but another part of that is, is that, you know, working with that power dynamic is somewhat beneficial when, when you're dealing with someone who wants something from you when they're pitching you a company. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the idea of constantly coming out is something that I do find to be challenging, especially as I'm in the work of like really stepping into my power, as it were, not to adopt that phrase, but like it is a process because I, I do know from previous corporate history that I would try to hide it as much as I can not talk about it, not talk about my personal life, especially like when people casually are like, oh, well, what are you doing this weekend? Or, you know, it, your non-LGBT coworkers might be like, oh, you know, going on a date or doing this or being more candid about like their personal life. Whereas somebody that doesn't identify that way would feel the need 
to hold those things back for the fear of being judged. But so in that, I sort of have flipped the coin in that regard of wearing a mask or not being so open and personal in the corporate setting to like thinking of my last corporate position where it was very much like the one hanging pride flag on the wall, you know? So like just going through that, that journey myself, but then also knowing the spaces where you do have to constantly come out and how that can affect the dynamic, especially when it is either social, which is one aspect, but professional as well, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's another example of the emotional labor that, that you perform and and I think it's it's a it's another example of also of a hurdle that people have where, you know, being private also means that you're not able to fully bond and and interact with your coworkers in a way where people feel more attached to each other. Um, and so it's you know, it's tough. Yeah. It's a tough dynamic. That was it was somewhat of a non-answer to the question. <laughs> um, that was good. All right, another one. Okay, do you think being gay gives you a unique perspective when considering investment at Stripes? Have you been able to help your partners view things through a different lens? And has that maybe led to certain success you can speak to? That's a, that's a, a tough question to, to quantify because I, I think that... Um, my perspective is not just that of a queer person. It's also had a lot of other things threaded into it related to, you know, being an immigrant and being, um, you know, an Asian American woman. Um, so it's, it's hard to parse it all out. I'd say that more so than most, I've, been lucky to be parts of organizations that have connected me to people that I wouldn't otherwise have been able to connect to because we all identified as LGBT. And so it's it's helped me in that way where I've managed to develop or get up the curve a lot more, maybe on certain industries, get connections into the right folks, have a broad network in that way um, because I've, you know, I've decided to, to be a part of Angels. Yeah, absolutely. Perhaps one or two more questions. Okay. There's two really good questions in here. They're all great. They're all great. But uh, <laughs> uh, these two particular. Um, how can people best be an ally to our LGBTQ plus friends in the workplace and outside, but particularly in the workplace? Um, I think it's, it's lonely to be the only voice who's championing any sort of cause. And just having another person be willing to, you know, celebrate pride, hang up, have someone else hang up the rainbow flag, have someone else call out someone for completely unacceptable behavior. You know, I've had entrepreneurs who have spoken to me in very unacceptable ways um, and have, have been lucky to have had coworkers who've been like, dude, that's not okay. And, you know, no one wants, I think it's powerful to be comfortable speaking up in certain environments, but no one wants to be the one person saying that something's not acceptable or that you should do something differently. And so just having someone help with that, yeah. it's great. It's yeah. the easiest way to do it. It doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. And I know one thing that helped me from my corporate experience was ERGs, employee resource groups, or the Millennium Term Affinity Group. Um, 
but I don't, please don't apply that to when it comes to like LGBTQ <laughs> stuff, because it's like, yeah, I have a, a picture of that. Right. I just don't think that applies. Uh, but I think that is a great way of like building a community within a corporate situation. And then also like if you do have more than one ERG, get them to work together. So like if you have like a women's ERG and then a LGBTQ plus ERG, maybe co-producing an event, um, something along those lines. And I think that helps one, bridge connection, but two, foster uh, working relationships. Uh, and then here is, I think, what would be our final question for the evening. What <laughs> advice would you tell an 18-year-old you, knowing what you know now? A lot of things. Um, 18 was before I'd come out, after I'd started seeing someone, a girl for the first time ever. Gosh, I mean, everyone, everyone who talks to their younger selves tells them to relax and that everything's going to be okay. I would, I would tell, I'm going to try and take a different tact on this, but I would tell, I would tell my 18-year-old self to feel comfortable taking as long as you need uh, to come out or identify as however you want to feel. Um, don't feel pressure to put yourself in a certain bucket. Stop wearing the flip-flops that you're wearing. You've been wearing them for four years. Time to throw them away. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think uh, the biggest thing that's not even related to being LGBT is, you know, focus first on the people that you care about just in general. Like, focus, build your life around the people who love you and that you love. Um, and the career stuff, like... It'll, it'll come. You're, you're lucky enough to be in a great school with smart people. Focus on the people that you love and cultivating those relationships because ultimately, you know, that's, that is what, what makes you comfortable and makes you who you are. That's some beautiful advice. So thank you. Somewhere, someone out there, someone listening will receive that. So thank you for sharing. Well, as with all of our conversations, this is just breaking the surface something much deeper. So I would like to thank Rachel Fu for joining me today and thank for you. sharing your experience. So thank you, Rachel, and thank you to Sally Bolick and Yapo for hosting us this evening. And Rachel, where can we find more about you? You can find me on Twitter at rxfu2 okay. or on the Stripes Group website where yes. you can also see our dogs. All right, yes. <laughs> we love a good company. And then we can follow Yapo at Yapo, correct? Yes, Yapo. And if you'd like to follow Typed Out, you can do so at typedout.co. That is also our website. You can find all of our content there. This podcast will be going live on Tuesday. So be sure to look out. Instead.